0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Matt Addison, alongside me Ian Doyle, Dan Kay and Conor Dunn as as we look back at a victory for the Reds over West Ham United. And ahead of course to another big week of football, primarily for today's episode, tomorrow night's trip to Italy and Atalanta. We've already heard from Jurgen Klopp and Trent Alexander-Arnold this morning as they previewed that Atalanta game. You can see what they said on the Blood Red YouTube channel and read about it of course on the Liverpool Echo website as well. So it's been a fairly busy day so far guys. Ian first, then Dan and then Connor. How are we all getting on?
2: I'm fine and I would like to point out that we're not actually alongside you because that's not allowed. We are we are alongside you in terms of the screen though, so that's okay.
3: We're virtually all together aren't we? Which in these Strange, crazy times, is as good as it gets, but we're all making the best of it and hoping the Reds can kick on after some good results this week and uh, ahead of a really big week of Premier League and Champions League action. Bring it on.
0: Yeah, as above, really. Hope you well as well. <laughs>
3: Literally above
0: in your case, yeah. Yeah, literally.
1: (laughs) Literally, yes, very much so. Well, we will start then with a very controversial topic. The penalty, of course, scored by Mohamed Salah just before half-time over the weekend. It seemed a pretty stonewall decision to me. The word dive, though, has been thrown about a fair bit since. Doyley, we'll come to you first. You were there. I mean, first of all, what did you make of the incident at the time? And then what have you made of the reaction and, and things that have been said since?
2: Well, I thought at the time it might have been a penalty. I saw the replay and went, "That's a penalty." And afterwards, I just thought, "That's a penalty." So ultimately, it was a penalty. So, uh, I, I, although I do understand what you're getting at, um, I don't know. It's just, it, it's, it's, it's. I, I wrote, I've written something today which basically said that the decision was one that the referee game on the pitch, I think it was from the, the linesman no, or the referee's assistant, sorry, assistant referee, he, he kind of consulted with him and said, oh, that's a foul. Referee gives the penalty. VAR, look at it. And because he's kicked him, it might not have been much of a kick, but because, you know, uh, Masuok, Masuoku I can never pronounce his name, oh, yeah. uh, him as well, yeah, the West Ham player, he um, he kicks Salah. It's a foul, isn't it? Because it's one where VAR, if, if that doesn't get spotted by the referee and VAR see it, they're not going to give a penalty. But because the referee spotted it, or the, the assistant spotted it, once they see the replay, they can't overturn it because there is you know there is contact. I mean, not every bit of contact in the penalty area is a penalty. But Salah knows better than anybody that number of times where he's been manhandled and he's carried on, he probably thought, well, I've been kicked here, I'm going down. I mean, and obviously Jurgen Klopp's come out today and said that Salah – took, we said, three knocks on one of them during the game, and one of them was the actual, you know, the, the kick that he got for the penalty, which he'll have felt it. He's gone down. So while there are people who say that, you know, Salah made the most of it, which, let's be honest, he, he did. I'm pretty sure if somebody did that to us when, when, if we were playing, we wouldn't go wouldn't go down probably quite so readily. But he's well within his rights to do it. I mean, I'm sure we'll get on to some other penalties that got given this weekend. You look at one for, for Harry Kane, where you know it that probably wasn't even a foul on Kane it was a foul the other way but the way that he worked it you could you know I'm going to use the C word clever he was clever in the in the way that he did it he won the penalty that's what that's what these players do that's what the top players do they have to you know make the most of every advantage and make the officials have to make a decision and with VAR now it's it it's it's even more imperative that if they feel as though they've been fouled perhaps they just feel that they want to make it clear that this is going to get checked. And if they do go down, then, then, then it's a penalty. So while I understand why some people aren't very happy with the fact that Salah made the most of it, I don't think they can complain about it being a penalty because it was one. And if, if they're going to start kicking off about that, then have a look at what Harry Kane did on Sunday. And if, if, if he's been clever, then surely Salah's been as well.
1: Yeah, there the would certainly... Say, be
0: fair, yeah, I just don't think anyone can complain about the actual fact that that's a foul. Anywhere on the pitch, if you get kicked, you get kicked. It's as simple as that. Yeah, he might not got kicked that hard, he's got kicked. It's, it's literally as simple as that. It's, it's, the reaction to it, it feels a bit like just more Salah criticism, doesn't it? Because he's had, as you said, ample incidents in the past where he's tried to carry on, stayed on his feet, not got anything for it. If he doesn't go down, he doesn't get a penalty. So it's, it's as simple as that. And he's talking about Kerry Hank. Callum Wilson did exactly the same thing in Everton-Newcastle. He even said after the game... I was trying to be clever, use my body to get across the def- uh, to get across the defender and got a kick and got a penalty.
1: Literally nothing else to it, in my mind, at least. <laughs> and Dan, I mean, there, there was contact 100%. So therefore, it, it can't literally, by definition, therefore be a dive, can it?
3: <clears throat> no, it can't. <clears throat> and the problem comes, I've said this for many, many years, as the lads have pointed out, there have been numerous occasions with Mo Salah and other players when they've tried to stay on their feet and the referee hasn't given the foul. And until referees start giving free kicks and penalties, when players do try to stay upright, they are, they are going to feel that they have no alternative but to go down. It's a, the, the, the application of the rules is, uh, I always use the phrase, it's a charter for divers because they literally feel they've got no alternative but to do that. I spoke to John Aldridge earlier today for his, for his echo column, which will be going online later this evening. And he made reference to, I don't think you've actually mentioned it yet, Matt, the, the, the column that was in the Times newspaper this morning from Tony Cascarino, who, of course, is a, <clears throat> an old Republic of Ireland teammate of all those. Now, it, it's interesting that the the article has actually had the headline changed on it during the course of the morning. Uh, it, 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 it Initially, the headline was, <clears throat> Mo, Mo- Salah's dive was an insult to the memory of Nobby Styles and the game he loved so much. <clears throat> it, it's now been softened. And says something like um, Mo Salah's dive shows that the game Nobby nobby loved is is disappearing from beneath us or something like that. Now, Aldo made the point it probably wasn't Cascarino that wrote the headline, which which, which is probably true but 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 the point he made is it, 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 it's, a, it's a it's a it's a disingenuous argument to bring someone like Nobby Styles into it for a start, English hero there he was winning the world cup. Anyone who watched any of that tournament would realise that he he kicked a lot of the best players in the world round the pitch during that tournament, which enabled England to do what they did. But it's a different game now. This was, this was the year of Tommy Smith and Norman Hunter and Ron Chopper-Harris and, and these various kind of players. We want to see the best players protected. We don't want to, don't want to see players going to ground for nothing. But at the same time, we don't want to see talent kicked out of the game. The the the, the 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 bottom line comes down to, to referees. As I say, until they start to give fouls when players try to stay on their feet, they will feel they have no alternative but to go to ground. Although although they did make one extra point, which I do do think is bear, bears repeating. Mo maybe could be a little bit subtler and a, and a little bit cuter in terms of how he displays to the referee what's happened, because the danger is there's always the danger of the boy that cri- the, the boy that cries wolf is there, isn't there? Which Possibly we've already seen a little bit with Mo and some of the penalties that he that he has been deprived of. But at the end of the day, it's it, cheating is when you create is when there's no contact, is when you're diving with no contact, or when, as we've often said, there was a famous Robert Perez one, wasn't there, in Arsenal Portsmouth game years ago, when the attacker throws his leg into the defender to initiate contact. That's cheating. Go into ground when you've been fouled is I, I, it's it's gamesmanship, it's realism, it's fo- it's football at the high end. And all those people aching about it really, I think, need to kind of get their heads out of the sand and realise that it's 2020. This is the game we're in. And until the, the rules of the game are applied more sensibly, this kind of thing is going to continue.
2: I mean, the, the actual debate really is that if, if it had been given against Liverpool, you'd go, oh, that's really soft and you wouldn't be too happy. But you'd then be having a go at the defender for, for doing that challenge exactly. in the first place. So I think exactly. I think Masuaku is, is he's being, I wouldn't say lucky, but he, he, he's fortunate that not more people are talking about, well, why did you have to make that challenge where you did? He wasn't going anywhere. You invited that thing and you did kick him. So it's a penalty. Yeah. And uh, going
0: back to the goal, hasn't he? Exactly. You know, yeah. he's taking the ball down from the air. It's not like he's going to score from that position. It's, it's, it's a silly tackle. It's clumsy,
1: flat out. And, and Connor, just to to stay with you then for a second before we do hear from Jurgen Klopp and exactly what he thought about that. I mean, that Tony Cascarino yeah. column then just makes even less sense the more you think about it. The more it's just a case of well, this wasn't really a, a controversial one. We've seen plenty of other incidences where maybe we could have a, a discussion of that kind, but this probably wasn't one of them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As Dan rightly pointed out, it's a totally different game to when the likes of Nobby Styles and Tony Cascarino and even Moreau were all playing. I mean. I just, I don't get the furore and the fury and the angst around it. I just, I just it does feel a little bit salary gender-y from people. Um, and that is all I can really say about it. You know, we've discussed so much about how it's been so many, so many times where he hasn't. And somebody pointed out actually in the comments when at Aston Villa, Salah didn't get a penalty when it was 2-1. Rightly so. you should have had a penalty and he didn't get it. So, you know, so many instances and it's just, it's a, it's a silly argument from people saying that Salah died because it just—it's it, not real. It's just yeah, simple.
1: <laughs> yeah, it certainly is a, a very strange one. Well, before we move on, then here is exactly what the Liverpool boss had to say on the matter when he was asked about it this morning. It was a foul. I think it was pretty much for everybody uh, who saw the situation. Saw it. Um, believe it or not, yesterday morning I spoke to Mo about um, how it feels and he has exactly three proper knocks on the foot, and one of them is from the penalty situation. Um, That's how it is, so there's a knock and then you go down or not, whatever, sometimes the refs whistle it. Uh, We don't talk that long about penalties we don't get, uh, to be honest, in other games, but then obviously now three days or two days after the game we talk about that, and there was clear contact, so what can I say? No, I don't understand the criticism. Well, a final word then, Ian, we'll come to you for, for this before we do move on from the Salah incident. I know you've written something this morning and I think you touched on it a little bit earlier on the, the sort of comparisons really between Mohamed Salah and Harry Kane. Kane adjudged to have fouled, or been fouled, I should say, by Brighton's Adam Alana yesterday. But the reaction very different in terms of, of that webinar uh,
2: To be fair to Kane, there's, there's quite a few people who've said, come on, what are you doing there? That's never a penalty. But I think it is to do with the way that both of them were ultimately just trying to bend the rules, sorry, the laws, because that you know they are laws. They are open to interpretation and, and perception and all of that. Bend the laws in their favour, so so they could uh, so they could earn a penalty. I mean, Salah, as we say, got kicked. Why shouldn't he go down? It's a penalty. With Kane, it's slightly different, where he was about to go into a challenge and he thought, well, I could use this to my advantage to try and win a free kick. And we, we've all heard the phrase "winning a free kick" everywhere around the pitch. Everybody does it. How many times do you see a? Uh, a defender trying to just run the ball out of play over the, you know, over the touch line, and the striker comes up behind him and falls over, and it's a free kick. Everybody sees it coming. And it was a little bit like that. Kane was doing exactly the same thing. Whether you think it's a foul or not, that's, what I say, it's open to interpretation. But Kane put himself in the position where he made the referee make a decision, and that's what Klopp, uh, what sorry, what Salah was doing with the, uh, with the the West Ham penalty. If he hadn't have gone down, we don't know whether or not he'd have got that penalty. Probably wouldn't have, but it was a foul. So there you go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Some more positive news then for Liverpool comes in the form of their injury situation. Naby Keita and Joel Matip both back in team training for Liverpool yesterday. We've seen them pictured again today as they prepare for their Champions League game. How much of a, a boost do you think that will be for Jurgen Klopp, Dan? particularly, of course, with Joel Matip?
3: Well, it's a huge boost, particularly, obviously, as you say, Liverpool are so short uh, of cover at centre-back. Um Nat Phillips made his Premier League debut on Saturday against West Ham and did really, really well. You know, quite rightly got man of the match. Uh, he's not in the Champions League squad, is he? So he would not be in contention for tomorrow. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see what the manager goes with. You know, Masip obviously, as we know, is you know arguably Liverpool's senior centre half at the moment. He has a very checkered injury record. Only just coming back from a knock, which kept which has kept him out for what three or four weeks now. And obviously, Liverpool had this huge game on Sunday away at Manchester City, with Liverpool having won the third, you know, having got six points out of six. Um, it's not exactly a must-win game in Bergamo tomorrow. Obviously, Liverpool would like to win. So the question is, does Klopp stick with um, Young Reese Williams, who came on against uh, land last week and did really well, but you know, a different game against the uh, probably a, a lesser side at home. Than what he would, what he would face in Italy tomorrow against us will come on to a really kind of blood and thunder attacking team who will be playing on their own pitch and will you know, probably have more work to do. Does he give him a go or does he risk throwing Massip straight back in with the potential that if he does break down, you know, or, or would he be able to co- cope with two games in in five days with City at the weekend? So, but the, the most important thing is at least we're getting players coming back. Great, to, great to see Naby Keita. Who I think had, you know made a decent start to the season. Maybe not the most eye-catching of ones in terms of goals and assists, but what I saw from him in the games in the, in, the, in the first couple of weeks was that there's a there's a more rounded nature to his game in terms of fulfilling his his midfield responsibilities instead of tracking and positioning and blocking passing lanes and that type of thing. And it, it, you know, it certainly can only be to Liverpool's advantage to have more options because obviously we Liverpool are still short of a couple of players. Jordan Henderson only just coming back. And Thiago Alcantara, we're still waiting to see more than one and a half games from him. Incredibly, he's not actually kicked a ball at Anfield yet, has he? Which, um, maybe he's waiting for for all the fans to get back there, who knows?
1: He (laughs) might be waiting a a while. It's going to
3: be there a while, yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: anyway, in in terms of of Naby Keita, Connor, I mean, would you take the risk with him? I mean, down there mentions the fact that Joel Matip is not got the, the best injury record. I suppose you could say the same about Cater as well with with both of them. You don't want to, to run the risk at all that they might pick up another injury.
0: Yeah, obviously injuries are so personal and it'll be how the players, you know, come through the injury and be developing. The fact they're in team training the last couple of days is, is massively positive because there's no way that they'd both be in full training without being fit and without being ready because it's, there would just be no point because that already is rushing them too far if they aren't ready to play. That said, I don't think I would play... we obviously come on to team selection a bit later, but I don't think I'd play either of them. The City game coming off at of the weekend, I think Matip is going to be needed more there. I think with this Atalanta game, it's going to be more at the other end of the pitch where it's won and lost. Um, with the free-scoring way they play, I don't think Matip or Reece williams will make a big, big difference to how much Atalanta will be attacking Liverpool. Um, you want Matip fit for City. Kater coming back after an injury, he's, he's you know... As Dan said, he, we, we spoke on this podcast that he started this, this season really well. He kind of found like a bit of a different role. It wasn't the all-out attacking case he wanted to see, but he, he was pressing well and linking the play well. And it was, it was good to see. He obviously finished last season really well as well. It's obviously just a frustrating injury record. But yeah, I, I just don't think I would play either of them, just given the fact that they aren't going to be fluid with the team, um, haven't really played the last few weeks as well. Um, and obviously City coming up in Liverpool are going to need, need some of their best players for the weekend.
1: Yeah, Ian, I mean, Liverpool's squad has had a a few little injuries of late, obviously a couple of longer-term ones as well. But Liverpool do keep picking up wins. The squad doesn't look in particularly bad shape, all things considered. Does that sort of underline for you the the sort of strength of, of squad that Jurgen Klopp has at the moment, that Liverpool can just not carry on as normal, but carry on as much as normal as possible? Well,
2: it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because what Klopp likes more than anything is rhythm. And the fact is he's not gonna get it until January, possibly. I and mean, he's not alone, the rest of the team, certainly in the Champions League, because of the way it's it's just, you know, it's weekend then midweek, weekend, midweek, and they're not you know, they're not like League Cup games where they're not quite the same intensity as Champions League games. They're massive games for Liverpool. I mean the game the, the next two games that they play are probably be the hardest two in terms of sequence that they'll play all season, given the fact that where we are in terms, in the season, it could shape the next few months to come, if Liverpool win in Atalanta, they're more or less through already. And then they can look to possibly rotate, rest some players towards the end of the, uh, towards the end of the group stage. And that'll help. But yeah, Liverpool are getting by because they have, certainly the, the options up front has been the interesting one because in defence, it's been the defence because there hasn't really been anybody else. And midfield, they have just about got away with it. If everybody was fit, I wouldn't have thought we'd have seen Shakiri playing in midfield, like at the, the number eight role or whatever. He might have come on a sub, but he probably wouldn't have been playing. Kater would have been there. So it has represented, you know, offered an opportunity to some of the players to uh, to come in and prove, prove the worth. So in that sense, it's been good because Liverpool have been picking up, not just the wins, but they've also kind of been picking up more players because you've seen Shaqiri's ready, Jota, we know, we've spoken about at length. He's come straight in and done very, very well. So in that way, yeah, I mean, in terms of the game on Tuesday, as I say, we'll get onto the, the, the team selection a bit later on, but it's whether or not Klopp sees this as a game where... They have to win because if he doesn't think that, I don't think he'll risk anybody at all because this game against City possibly on Sundays is, is, is a bigger game.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting to, to see what does happen in that Atalanta game. Before we sort of discuss that, we'll go through a, a couple of more specific talking points from West Ham then. Dan, Liverpool did go a goal behind in the game. That's happened now in each of their last three Premier League home matches. Liverpool, of course, have won all of those games. They've turned those matches around. But at what point does that become a little bit of a concern for you?
3: It's not ideal. But to me, the most encouraging aspect is that on each occasion, they found a way to get it done. I think I think particularly the one, you know, the, the middle one, Sheffield United last week. Liverpool actually started that game really well. Then Sheffield scores. And for kind of 15, 20 minutes, Liverpool kind of looked really ropey. Whereas I think the other two games, Arsenal and um, West Ham on Saturday, didn't really change the flow of the match too much. But against Sheffield United, I thought we saw a real kind of resolve and resilience to just dog out a period of a game when you're not playing well. Mm-hmm. And that's what good, good teams do. <clears throat> Obviously, yeah, we, we were spoiled last season, weren't we? You know what I mean? With Liverpool's imperious form, winning 26 and drawing one of the first 27 games, hardly conceding any goals... There was a, a, a crazy stat which Gary Lineker unearthed, didn't he, on Saturday evening, which we turned round on the Echo site yesterday. That incredibly, since Liverpool, since since the Premier League came back last June in Project Restart, no team in the division has conceded more goals than Liverpool. Now, obviously, that you can that's slight, maybe slightly skewed by the two heavy defeats at Aston Villa and Manchester City, but obviously it does indicate that obviously it's this is a far cry from where we were last year when. You know, teams were hardly getting a shot against us. I did see so, stats somewhere that basically say, even though Liverpool concede a lot of goals, they haven't actually conceded many shots on target. The ratio in terms of conversion is actually quite high. Now, obviously, we know we've had goalkeeper issues with Alisson being injured. Also, I just think, as well, it's a mad season, which obviously hasn't been helped by the, the injury problems Liverpool have had. So I'm not, to be honest, I'm not overly perturbed by the fact that Liverpool are. Conceding a few goals here and there, I, I do think you know the, the that that ratio will change in terms of how many goals Liverpool conceding per game, because it has been skewed by by Villa. And obviously, hopefully, if Alisson stays fit, and as the team find a bit more rhythm as the season goes on, that will change. But I think we have to accept the fact that it's going to be a crazy season with topsy turvy games and topsy turvy results. The most important aspects from as far as I'm concerned, is that Liverpool have the ability to roll with the punches, deal with setbacks, not have their heads fall off like it would have done years ago, and find a way to win games, and that to me is the most heartening thing from what I've seen in recent weeks.
1: Yeah, one man trying to to help Liverpool keep clean sheets. Connor is Trent Alexander-Arnold, of course, made his 100th Premier League appearance for Liverpool over the weekend. 77 wins in that period. He's only just turned 22. He's a key player for Liverpool, but more exciting than all of that is that there's so much more to come from him. Yeah, I reckon we could talk about Trent all day long. The quality he
0: possesses is absolutely outrageous. For a 22-year-old, it was that pass against, was it Ajax in the Champions League, the Crossfield pass to Robertson. It's been shared by Liverpool, it's been shared by all over the place. It's just just a, a moment where you can just see the quality of the way he kicks the ball is, is unbelievable. And as you say, he's 22, he's only going to get better. The vision he has, the way he hits free kick. The engine he has getting up and down that right wing. I know people talk about his defending, but he is not half bad at that either. I think some of that criticism is unjust. And yeah, it's just excellent. It was really nice to hear from Trent today as well. Um, A few really nice things he said in the press conference when he joined Jurgen Klopp, and he was saying about You know, he he dreamed of getting to Melwood, seeing the players' cars drive past his house on Queen's Drive and wanting to get to that stage, going to Anfield. It's just, you know, so nice to have somebody like that who is the heart and soul of the Liverpool team. And Klopp wants a team full of scousers and he's slowly getting it. But Trent is is obviously such a key player and he will be for many, many years to come.
3: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: 100 Premier League appearances for Trent, Ian. A first one for Nat Phillips. Albeit West Ham's Sebastian Haller is probably the worst 45 million striker in the world at the moment. He actually did really, really well.
2: Yeah, Haller has to be the softest big man I think I've ever seen. He was just like, every time he went near him, he just just wasn't really challenging that much. But yeah, Dan Phillips did, did very well. Interesting, isn't it? Because um, I think I saw a stat um, earlier today that Liverpool have lost more aerial duels, than or one fewer aerial duels than anyone else in the Premier League, and what can Nat Phillips do better than anything else in his game? He can head it. And uh, what Klopp said after the game was interesting. He said he's a player who knows what he can do, which is another way of saying his limitations. He just got in the right positions, got back, got blocks in, headed it away all day long, all evening long, I should say, and uh, put in a few good passes as well when he grew with a bit of confidence so he can be very happy with the way that he played. But yeah, I think um long-term, He's going to have more more tougher tests than the, than Haller, who was, if we're being perfectly honest, pretty dreadful. And, uh, and Fornells, I know he scored for West Ham, but the, I think they had, they had one break in the first half where it soon became apparent that he can't run, which is a, a bit of a blow for him when uh, he's he's on there uh, attending a lightning counter-attack. So, I mean, in that sense, you know, I was a little bit... OK, I know you're talking about the game here, but I was a little bit disappointed in West Ham. I thought they would have had a bit more of a go because they did... I like Bowen the striker that they've got and I thought they might have used him a little bit more but you could argue that Liverpool made them play that way but by the fact that they picked a team that was very strong in in an attacking sense it was good to see Curtis Jones make only his his second Premier League start I know one or two people were saying well you know he didn't do enough in terms of passing the ball through the middle it's like well hang on that's literally his second ever start in the Premier League you know Liverpool paid 50 odd million to get catering to do that they paid 30, you know, nearly well, just 20 million to get to get Thiago to come in, who, by the way, is like clearly one of the best players in the world in his position. So, you know, I, th- I think for what Jones did, I thought he played particularly well. He he did what he had to do, and uh, uh, overall, I think there were some positives to take from that game against West Ham. Yeah, I would just say on that,
0: Philip, I think he did the really simple things well. It's exactly oh. what Cup said, you know, he knows what he's good at. Liverpool needed someone to head the ball, and duly, he headed the ball, you know simple passes grew into the game a little bit i thought he did exactly what you hoped from him not a massively memorable game for a centre-back but really solid when called upon didn't really put a a foot wrong that's his first premier league start and his second appearance before that league cup against everton last season yeah i just don't think you could have asked any more from him really um it's obviously a shame he's not in the champions league squad because i think he would have been well in contention for this game after that performance and especially talking about Klopp's, you know Wish for fluidity and con- continuity, should I say? Um, so yeah, I thought it was a really assured performance from from what is still a young man at centre back. He's obviously only 23. He's got years to grow into his role. Not everybody becomes a superstar at 22 like Trent. Um, you know, you think of Van Dyke and Salah and all now, 27, 28. So Phillips has got a few years, and I know obviously Liverpool were looking to to move him on this summer. But looks like he could be a pretty good option now, given the state of injuries at the back.
1: Yeah, it's probably a good job, Dan, that he did well when he came in because probably at some point between now and January, Liverpool are going to have to use him again in the Premier League.
3: Well, almost certainly. I mean, you know, we talked about Joel Matip's um, chequered injury record. Joe Gomez has also had his injury problems. His tend to have been more contact injuries than muscle injuries, but just the nature of <coughs> playing as a defender and also as well, the nature of this season with all these games back to back. You know, Liverpool were pretty much down to the bare bones. You know, as as has been discussed, you know, there are there are kind of like workarounds that they can look at. Whether you know, well, obviously, Fabinho was one. Jordan Henderson played that one game against Monterey in the World Club Championship last year. Ginny Wild, Ginny Weilaldum played that one game bizarrely as part of a back three at Brighton in December twenty seventeen, I think. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think ideally, if possible, you want centre backs at centre back, and. <laughs> It, it, it would it, help. It's it's it, 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 Football and, and life is littered with these kind of almost sliding doors moments where, you know, Phillips went on loan to Stuttgart last year, didn't he, bombed back to help knock Everton out of the FA Cup and then went back to Germany. And it seemed like, you know, he was going to be moving on in the summer for the variety of reasons he didn't. And who knows you know if he comes in and kind of... I, I think Liverpool have played it quite smart as well by naming Reese Williams in the Champions League... And him in the Premier League, in terms of almost kind of like a horses for horses type approach, having you know to to manage everything in this kind of very unusual circumstance with with so many games compressed into a short space of time. But if if if, if well, the other thing I realised about Saturday, is I think in one of Klopp's post match interviews, he said that Phillips reminded him a little bit of of Klopp himself as a player, and that you know he wasn't wasn't the easiest on the eye. He's not really much of a one for the the aesthetic. Those who like their aesthetic central defenders, like Alan Hansen, gliding silkily away from players. But as Connor pointed out, he did what he needed to do. He got he got the basics right, and at, at a time like this, when it's such a weird season, and it's just a case of just trying to grab every point and every performance that you can. Liverpool need players that know their jobs, and will have this tunnel vision in terms of how to accomplish them correctly. And I thought Phillips gave a great example of that on Saturday, and I think he deserves. He deserves more chances than that, and I'm sure he'll get them.
1: I think Diogo Jota is a, another one, Ian, who's worth a, a mention. Obviously, came off the bench, scored the winner. Both Klopp and Trent were were asked about him this morning, and, and both of them, I think, made the point that in the past, we've seen players come to Liverpool and take time to adapt. But Diogo Jota just looks like a, a Liverpool player pretty much instantly.
2: Well, as, as Klopp said, it helps that he's come from wolves. They're wolves, while well, they don't play the same, you know, tactically the same you know, in terms of formation game as Liverpool, they've got that same intensity, that same pressure. They have, you know, that's why Liverpool's games against Wolves in the last couple of years when they played them have been very close at first, because in that sense, they're very closely matched. That's and that's how he came to, you know, the attention of Jurgen Klopp because of his performances in, in several of those games. So it seems, and obviously we've not had a chance to speak to him yet, but, you know, from, from what we've seen in terms of the clips with the, the official website and interviews after the game, seems like a nice lad. The, the other players speak highly of him and if you can't settle in a in a Liverpool squad that's run by Jürgen Klopp and is going into the season as Premier League champions and has, has won you know lots of other trophies then you're never going to have a chance to a better chance of settle in, in a squad because it's we've spoken for years and years about the you know the the whole team spirit the family ethos that they've got not just that you know in terms of the team but Melwood and everywhere else at the academy and that's just helped them but in terms of actually on the pitch the reason that he's hit the ground running is because he's been used you know he's been used I would say quite spurringly. He's not started many matches. There's been no pressure on him. No one's been talking about the fact he cost forty one million pounds. I think he's the fourth most expensive player in Liverpool's history. In the and the fact that he's got, was it four goals already, three goals in his last three games. Yeah, three in his last three games. And they're important goals as well. They're not just like Goals just to you know, make it five 0 or whatever. It was the Arsenal game was you know, that settled the game at the end. We've, we've got winners against Sheffield United and, uh, and against West Ham, and the, he got the, uh, the opener against the Danes, who I still can't pronounce. So, um, in terms of what he's done, he's also offered a. He's offered for the first time in a while. He's offered an option in terms of the front three. You know, we've we've spoken and we're going to go to the team in a bit. Where I'm still going to say rest Firmino, you know, even though Jurgen never does. You know, he gives, he allows Klopp the confidence to be able to do that, and the team won't be affected in terms of quality in any in any major way at the moment. Further down the line, you'll hope that that Takumi Minamino has the same impact. Uh, it's interesting that after he finished last season strongly, and I thought he did quite well in the opening games when he's come on, he, he's kind of fallen away a little bit. But that's what happens with players sometimes. But with Yotta, he's managed to. As I say, he, he's, he's got into the the whole ethos of the club, the way that the team played, because of what's happened to him at Wolves and the fact that he's had, you know, he's only 23, but he's had a lot of experience, not just in, in the Premier League, but in, in the Portuguese League. He, he plays for Portugal's national team and the other week he was deputising for Cristiano Ronaldo and scoring twice. One of them was a very Ronaldo-type goal. So, you know, he, he's a player high on confidence and who... Jurgen Klopp already knows that he can rely on so he hasn't had that settling in period that perhaps you look at Fabinho and Andy Robertson have had who had to learn a different style of play in a a more demanding position you'd say certainly fullback for Liverpool and also in midfield whereas Yot has been allowed to express himself a little bit more and that's what Klopp said when he first I think the first game he played was at Lincoln he said oh we just told him just to get on and just run around and do what he normally does and I think over the next few months, there'll be a bit more you know, tactical tweaking to get him into the Liverpool way of things. Especially if, in terms of a, a in terms of a longer term, he's going to possibly be more regularly featuring in that front three.
1: Yeah, early days, but he does seem to be a more consistent player, maybe than what he was Wolves. He seems to have settled into that Liverpool squad really nicely. A, a quick word as well on Zerdan Shakiri, Connor. I think it, it's worth definitely singing his praises just for. A couple of minutes, of course, looking much more like the Shakiri of the season before last.
0: Yeah, that pass was something else, wasn't it? They were analysing it after the game and I think he definitely tries to play it through his legs. I think he sees him coming and he's an, it's an excellent vision to knock it through. It's, it's such quick thinking um, and it's exactly what Shaqiri offers. I think, you know, when he scored that free kick, it was a timely reminder of exactly the quality Shakiri has. Um, and I thought it was really interesting today to hear Klopp say, it's like a fresh start for him. This is how it always is with players. Um, you know, all that transfer talk around in the summer is gone for now because there's no transfer window open. And it's, it's time for Shikiri to show what he's doing in Prescott. And if he does, there's, there's no reason why he can't, you know, stake a claim in the team. I thought he was really, really good when he came on. Um, obviously, he was talking about the pass that created Liverpool's goal, but I thought he worked really hard. I thought he gave Liverpool a bit of added impetus in the attack. Um, I thought he looked pretty, pretty sharp, pretty pacey. And yeah, I just, I thought, you know, another great option for Liverpool have, as Ian pointed out earlier, Liverpool picking up more players along the way as they go here, players that they're going to very much need in the season. Um, Just a word on Jota as well. I I really like his attitude. Obviously, we haven't, as always, had another chance to speak to him, but a couple of interviews that I've read and I've seen of him, he just seems really switched on. And he did an interview with the official website saying that, the, the standard of rondos and things at Liverpool is world-class like he's never experienced before, but then also he's never experienced like the teammates like he has helping him settle in and the people off the pitch that have helped him settle in and doing everything for him, he said. And it's just really nice, you know, the whole setup at Liverpool to bring someone in like that and just allowing them to settle straight away and just come in and hit the ground running, which is exactly what he's done. And obviously with Shaqiri, who you asked about, and he seems to be firing as well. So it's, it's, it's great timing for Liverpool, really.
1: Yeah, a couple of, of really good options. Let's move on and, and talk about Atalanta then. We'll stay with you, Connor, because I think of the four of us, you probably know a, a little bit more about them than we do. A little Behind, bit more is the operative yeah, word. <laughs> the, <laughs> of course, yeah. The, the Behind Enemy Lines podcast will be with any listeners. Uh, tomorrow morning, Guy Clark will be speaking to an Italian football expert to get the lowdown on them. But before that, Connor, there are a team very much who will be on the attack. I think... I'm right in saying only one of their games this season has not seen both them and their opponent score. That was their 4-0 win in Denmark against FC Michelin. So should we be expecting goals tomorrow night? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Dan
0: and I were actually talking the other day about Atalanta and how it reminded me of... A bit of Liverpool of old under Jurgen Klopp, just simply trying to outscore teams. And I think Dordie said the other week on the podcast, we don't really win anything by doing that, but it's certainly exciting football. Did they score 96 goals in Serie A last season? Just an incredible number of goals. And I think it's one of the most since the 70s or something mad. So yeah, expect plenty of attacking option, but expect Liverpool also to run riot at the back as well, because by all accounts, they seem to neglect the defensive duties a little bit. I know that they're star left-back Robin Gossens, he's the German international. Um, he was withdrawn from their squad to face Cortone at the weekend. Um, they beat Cortone 2-1. Um, but they, the, stri- the striker, Luis Muriel, who scored both goals in the first half for Atalanta, was brought off at half-time in a suspect move from the manager resting for Liverpool and a couple of other players were brought off during the game. So, obviously, they've got the ability to make five subs in the Serie A as well, so just able to rest a few players ahead of ahead of this match. But, Yeah, I think it's going to be all out attack from Atalanta. And that's why I was saying earlier, I think it's going to be Liverpool going to win the game at the other end of the pitch just by showing the fact they have better quality attackers and just simply outscoring them. And I'm expecting it to be a very, very exciting game.
1: Yeah, Connor mentions there, Dan, that it's going to be end to end. There's probably going to be a lot of goals. We've seen Liverpool sort of transition under Jurgen Klopp into a much more dominant and and controlling team. But do you think this potentially could be a, a real test of that?
3: Yeah, I mean that, thats how Liverpool really have, have matured over the last kind of you know eighteen to twenty-four months, isn't it? From that kind of cut and thrust, hair scare team of, of the, you know 27, 18 Salah's first season that they got to Kiev. I do. I think it, since you know the defensive problems that Liverpool have had over the last couple of months, you know I, I think a few people have said that we might actually start to see a not a complete role reversal but maybe a little bit more of that kind of mentality coming back in terms of maybe an acceptance that obviously Liverpool want to defend every single situation in every single game as well as they can. But maybe there is an acceptance that they're not going to keep as many clean sheets as they would do with Virgil van Dijk not there week in, week out. Because it's not just what he does, it's his leadership, it's his presence. And obviously they've been without the goalkeeper for a while. So I I think... You know, this is where, you know, I think the, the emergence of the likes of Jota and and, and Shaqiri, as well as others like Cater and Minamino and Curtis Jones and others from the squad will be so important because Liverpool are not gonna Liverpool are not gonna be watertight all season, but we've still got the most front three, the most feared front three in Europe, if not the world, even if maybe they're all firing absolutely on all cylinders at the moment. And Liverpool are absolutely a, a, an attacking force to be reckoned with and and maybe what's happened over the last few weeks is a reminder to Klopp and his players that this, this is an area that they can't afford to neglect. Obviously, you've got to attack as a team and defend as a team. You know, one of the reasons Ian Rush was so loved years ago was because as well as scoring all those goals, he was the first line of defence in terms of chasing defenders down and putting pressure on them. And, and you know, we know that that's something that Jurgen Klopp wants from his players as well. But um, <clears throat> that, that's why you, you to refer revert back to your previous question to me just before about you know is it concerned that the last three home games they've gone behind well one of the reasons is because even if i w- you wouldn't say in any of those games they've been probably anything more than a seven or eight out of ten that's being generous nowhere near their absolute best they still when they click into gear can can cause any team problems in their in their attacking third and they found the way to score goals great chances and you know, it's easy to forget because we're quite a, quite early because we're in November now, but it's it's still really early in the season. You know what I mean? And and I think the kind of the calendar slightly skews that reality a little bit for them. So for us rather. So the so the fact that you know the Liverpool are finding ways <coughs> are finding ways to, to score goals, I think will bode well. And I, and I think they will need it tomorrow because I, yeah, I can't say I know awful lot about Atalanta. Just happened to notice that I remember that they were in Man City's group last season. I just happened to look at the results. They got battered five one at the Etihad. But I do remember that they took points off City in the game in Italy, which was actually played in the San Siro in Milan because of crowd. because Atalanta's ground is too small, obviously they are going to play at their own ground tomorrow. But the thing I found quite curious is that it's the it's the exact same midweek as it was last year. It, the, I, I seem to remember I think Fernandinho, <coughs> Fernandinho, or Kyle Walker or someone got injured in the game. <coughs> Excuse me, they're fucking with throat. And but but basically, Atalanta played City the week before City played Liverpool, so there's a, there's a funny little parallel that Liverpool going into obviously a big game at the Etihad just as uh, <coughs> City were against us like this time last year. But I fans just to get a better score than one one. Didn't Kyle Walker go and go on in that game? I think that, yeah, yeah, that crazy. was it. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, was Ed- Edison was sent. Maybe Edison was sent off.
2: Then. Sent off because he came out and didn't handle it or something do something stupid. Uh, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah.
2: I don't don't want to see Andy Robertson in goal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, no. Before we we do go and and finish, then we will pick our teams. I'm sure, Ian, we will come to you first. Andy Robertson will not be your goalkeeper, but I'm assuming he will be part of your back line. And probably I can pick certainly four out of of the five players that you would select for that back five.
2: I don't know, you know. I don't know. It depends how Fitzsimikas is. I suppose it's a bit of a big shout putting him straight in there. But the fact that there's five subs kind of... Not saying it makes the start and eleven pointless because clearly there's a massive point, but it's not quite as important as it, as it was. You've seen what Younglot's been doing with his uh, midfield. He's been Henderson, Jordan Henderson's been come on for one half and got subbed at half time the last game. So uh, okay, I'll sit with Robertson at left back. Um, Callaher in goal, obviously. Um, no, Allison in goal. Trent uh, right back. Gomez and hmm, I don't know actually it depends if Matip's fit he's gonna to have to play because he needs the minutes if he's gonna play against Man City but again they could just sub him at half time if, if, if they just want to get 45 minutes in him so you yeah, know, I'll do that I'll start with Matip with, yeah with Williams to, go, Williams to come on at half time
1: yeah I'm completely with you. Yeah. I'm not sure which way round it'll be but I think we'll probably see 45 minutes each for for the pair of them Connor do you go along with that
0: yeah, I agree. But I'm, I'd start Reese williams in the hope that Liverpool get a couple of goals yeah. and are in a more comfortable position to bring Matip on. A um, couple yeah. of goals up at half-time, bring Matip on to an easier game where Liverpool are a bit more settled. I love your confidence.
3: <laughs> Thank you. I, think, I'm I, think, I, I think I'd go with Connor on that, actually. That, that makes sense to me. Williams has yeah. to come on. The other four, the back five, the same.
1: And your midfield, Dan, are you going to go with a, a two as we've seen, or are you going to go with that three that we have seen for for Liverpool for the majority of the last couple mm. of seasons?
3: Well, I, I think I think I'd go with I think I'd go with the three um, Henderson, Wijnaldum, and I'm going to throw Naby Keita in. I I, I I I do think the the five subs. Is a game changer, into, into at a time like this, particularly being able to uh, give players within your squad the kind of minutes and, and make the kind of uh, go into go into going into games with the kind of preconceived tactical ideas that you wouldn't be able to with three. And it's interesting that you know a few of the Premier League managers, including Klopp, have talked about what a mistake really it is for that not to be adopted in the, adopted in the Premier League at the moment. And you know, that's a discussion for another podcast, I guess, but. On that basis, on the basis that he needs minutes in his legs and that Curtis started on Saturday against West Ham, I'd throw Naby in, even if he's only going to get 45.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with Cater as well, Ian. I think this could be a, a bit of a chaotic game and it could be one that, that suits him. But are you going to go along with that or are you going to pick somebody else in there?
2: Well, I think um, it's a bit like Rugby Union when they go on their the tours to like uh, you know, the British Lions and they have a midweek team. I don't know, James Milner's in my midweek team, so he's playing. Um, I think Henderson and Wijnaldum, one of them will start, one of them will replace the other one at half time. Uh, I think I'll start with Henderson this time. In terms of the third midfield slot, I know it wasn't training today, though, was he? No, but he was, um, he was there. Was he? he, was he? There. I'm not sure what he was doing, maybe he was watching, but uh, you know, I i, was, I would imagine he would be traveling. Well, I hope he is because i just put him in the team, but uh. <laughs> And <laughs> I think I'd go with Curtis Jones again. I think i will go with Curtis Jones again. As I said before, I was quite, you know, while he wasn't mag- absolutely magnificent against, um, against, who did he play? West Ham, that's the one, uh, against West Ham. I think he got the minutes against Ajax, didn't he? He played for the, was it the first half he played against Ajax and got subbed? I think that's right, because that's when Henderson yeah. came on. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, I think he just probably deserves to start one of these games along, you know, with Henderson and with Milner a bit more. You know, I just think that he would benefit from it. Which keeps him keeps him ticking on because, as we've said before, with a number of other players, like Nat Phillips. And by the way, is it Nat or Nate? Nat. I just assumed it was Nat, but but Jurgen seems to think it's Nate, and he got asked a question it today it. It's Nate. Nat. Yeah, yeah, but he called him Nate. So I don't know. Anyway, uh yeah, Joe Jones Jones starts, and then if things go wrong. You know, you got Cater on the bench. He can come on as well. Because, as Dan said, the five subs is a game changer, which makes it, you know, it's a game changer in the sense that while I understand why they've done it, it does make the games very hard to predict in the sense of how they're going to go, because it just seems as though now the way games start are very different to the way that they end. And I know we've always had that with three substitutes, but with five, it's almost like you can you can literally have half a completely different team playing at the end of the game. So, yeah, that's what
1: I'll do. And Connor, who's your midfield three?
2: Yeah, so
0: I'm going to go with Jones as well. To be honest, um, I'm going to put Henderson and Wijnaldum in. Um, depending on it, probably bring Henderson off at halftime for Milner, depending on how the game's going. Um, I don't think he'll probably play much more than 45 just because of he's only just returning from injury, big game of the weekend, et cetera. But yeah, that's what he said. I like Jones against West Ham. I think Jones has played well. He's, you know, so young, so inexperienced. And this sort of game, if it's open, can, and the clock just goes to him, you know, go and play, go and be yourself, take shots. And it might just be one of those games that just really opens up for him and be a really good game for him to come and play between the lines and do the things we know he can do so well. And obviously not short of confidence himself. The other thing
2: about Curtis Jones that I think we possibly overlook is that he's played in the the UEFA Youth League quite a lot in the and last he was, couple of years. and <laughs> last season he was probably the best player in the entire tournament, and that's what some of the the opposing manager, I think it was the the Napoli manager, said that about mm. Curtis Jones. So he's okay. It's not quite the same, but there's no fans there. He'll have played. He's played in Italy probably more times than some of the Liverpool players have. So. You know, I don't think it's going to be a problem for him in that sense. It, it, as, as, as Connor said, it'd be good to see how he how he matches up against a, a different type of midfield.
1: Yeah, I'm sure we'll see him at, at some point. I'm going to go with Cate Henderson and Wan Aldum from the start. I'm going to go with the usual front three as well. I'm going to leave Diogo Jota out as good as he was over the weekend. Connor, how how are you going to sort of set up in that front line? Are you going to find a way to squeeze him in? I really like Jota out on the left
0: and I think Sadio Mane can definitely play down the middle. I think he's quick. I think gives Liverpool a totally different option and it's a way to get Jota in and just getting Firmino out on the spotlight a little bit, just giving him a rest. He'll be good against City. He'll be back and ready. So,
1: Jota it is for me. Yeah, I think this could be a game that suits Firmino, so I'm going to keep him in, Dan, but who are you going to go for?
3: There's no one that loves Bobby for me no more than me, and I'll fight anyone that says that, that, that says that they do. But I'm um, with Connor. I think it's time to, to take Bobby out of the limelight. Gives Jota a go from the start, and and to be honest, I think if it worked, I would be almost inclined to keep possibly keep him in at City. Certainly keep an open mind on that. I'm absolutely not saying. Bo- I'm not saying Bobby's finished. I still think he's got a huge role to play for us this season, but I think he's just hit one of these kind of like little plateau points that all great players have in a career, where they just have to slightly take a little bit of a step back and maybe look at a few things here and there, how they, how they go about things, maybe slightly reinvent themselves. And I think now is the time. So, yeah, Diogo Jota is in for me. And Doily, is Diogo Jota in for you?
2: He's in, but then so's Minamino. Uh I think oh. that, again, the game on Sunday, such a big game for Liverpool, this is one that this is this is the least important of the two and as we've said before with the five subs if things aren't going to plan they can bring on some of the other players so i'd go jota on the left is it jota or jota this is like jota. a nice last... jota. Jota. jota same yeah. as
1: jose Mourinho.
2: in that's right uh, because he's coaching, it's it's a portuguese thing, isn't, isn't it? it that's right yeah so 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 diogo uh and then through the middle of minamino who wasn't particularly great last week but as i've said before he, he's he deserves another go i think uh, and salah on the right
1: Interesting stuff then. Very, very quickly before we do finish, we'll go around and, and take score predictions from you all. It's a mad one to try and predict. I think I'm going to go for two each. I think Liverpool have lost the last three trips to Italy. So a little bit of an improvement on that. Doyle, will come to you. Then we'll do Connor and then we'll go for Dan. Very quickly, your score predictions. 3-2 uh,
2: to Atalanta.
1: 3-2 to Liverpool.
3: 3-1 Liverpool. 3-1 Liverpool.
1: Interesting stuff. Well, that is all we have got time for on today's Blood Red podcast. We will see which of us gets closest in our prediction and hopefully Liverpool can take another step towards the Champions League knockout stages. For now though, from myself, Matt Addison, from Ian Doyle, from Connor Dunn, and from Dan Kay, that's all we've got time for. And we'll see you next time on the Blood Red channel.
3: You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.